Welcome to the Andy Staples Show presented by Sling. Uh, we got a pretty serious, sad thing to talk about right off the top of the show. And um, I, we kind of exist here, at least the hope is to be your oasis and your kind of escape from the the horrible things that happen sometimes in the real world. And unfortunately, sometimes the the horrible things in the real world get dragged into the world of college football. And so uh, just thinking about everybody at Virginia, Devin Chandler, Lavelle Davis Jr. and Deshaun Perry shot. The, the suspect is, is Christopher Jones, uh, former Virginia walk-on. And it's just an incredibly sad situation. I'm here with Scott Dockerman. Uh, we are going to talk about football and and stuff on the field, but it's this is just one of those things that it just makes you sad, mad, you name it. And uh, just just thinking about everybody at Virginia right now. Yeah, I agree, Andy. I mean, it's really a tough situation for everybody in, in Charlottesville in that area and then around the country because there's been th- – these things happen just about everywhere. I mean, one that comes to mind for me was in – it's a long time ago, 1991, but it resonates mm-hmm. in Iowa City the day before uh, a football game on the road. Um, uh, a, a man who was scorned, uh, didn't win an award he wanted, uh, went into the main hall at University of Iowa and shot six oh, people and – one of the one of the women who worked in the Jessa Paul area, or and was a secretary to the president, was Paul Burmeister's mother. And Paul was a backup quarterback on the Iowa football team. And back then there were no cell phones and no, uh, you know, text messages. So for a couple of hours, he and his best friend Brett Bielema were kind of were, were very much concerned about what mm-hmm. may have happened to her because they were watching it as soon as they arrived. So. Uh, that same situation in in Virginia and all over the place. So yeah, our, obviously our, our thoughts and prayers and they're not empty. uh, It's just, it's just, I mean, I think about, you know, my, your kids are, are green college grown minor or, you know, teenage, almost teenage. And just the idea of, of getting that phone call that, that you've lost your kid and for something unspeakably horrible like this. This is, it's just, it's terrible. And, you know, I, I don't mean to bring everybody down at the beginning of the show. It's just one of those things that, you know, this affects the world of college football, obviously. And, and so I, you know, I can't even imagine what, what things were like within that team right now and what everybody's going through. And I just, I hope, hope that folks can find some peace and, just thinking about the, the families of of the young men who got who got killed because it is a just a horrible horrible situation. Um, but like like I said before, we we try to be your escape from that stuff. We we try to give you something you can talk about, think about that, that maybe isn't that. So uh, we're going to go ahead and, and and talk about college football because that's that's kind of what we do here. And um, so we'll move into that. But just know we're we're thinking about all the folks in Virginia, uh, Scott, we, we've got to talk about the, the beat you cover because this is, I didn't think we'd be having this conversation when <laughs> every time that we brought up Iowa and the offense, I, I felt like almost felt like it was becoming a bit and it really wasn't. It was more because it was so amazing to see a team that had a defense and a special and special teams that were this good and it felt like it was going to waste. That said, it may not be going to waste because Iowa 
has a very good chance of winning the Big Ten West after the events of the past two weeks with Illinois losing to Michigan State and then losing to Purdue. And now it has thrown the Big Ten West into this massive form of chaos where it feels like almost anyone can win it. It's wild. Uh, four teams tied at the top, and none of the four are can win it outright just by winning their last two games. They need a little bit of help. They need, you know, Illinois now lost its chance to clinch outright, and now it has to play Michigan. So you almost throw Illinois out, although Brett Bielema has had some miracles against Michigan in the past. Um, you look at Iowa, and yes, Iowa was the laughing stock of the world because that offense, and it still struggles. I mean, it had 146 yards the other day, but when it had the ball twice inside the red zone, it scored touchdowns. Um, and in the last three weeks, it's it's won you know, by a combined score of 81 to 26. So it's producing. It's producing in special teams. The defense is playing lights out. Purdue put itself back in the race. And then you have yeah. Minnesota, which is the fourth of four, but it has a chance to really, um, you know, to at least clinch a share of the title and see what happens by playing Iowa and Wisconsin. It's two oldest blood rivals late. So it's fascinating. I mean, it's not good, but it's, but it's interesting. And if you're well, not going to be good, be, be interesting. Well, and, and think about this, this is, you know, we make fun of the rivalry trophies and everything, but this is, this is about as good as it gets. If you're Iowa, if Michigan beats Illinois on Saturday, which we think they will, which Vegas thinks they will, Iowa can win a pig, an ax, and a Big Ten West title. <laughs> well, if they win the ax, that's no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. What am I thinking? <laughs> no, Minnesota can win the Minnesota needs to win. Minnesota can win a pig, an ax, and a Big Ten, a Big Ten West title. That's what I yeah. I don't know why, why I said Iowa. Yes, Minnesota can win the pig and then the axe. Iowa can win the pig, then can beat Nebraska, which may or may not have a football coach by, <laughs> by Black Friday. Yeah. If, if certain internet rumors are to be believed. So, golly, it, it is. And then, and then, yes, Illinois can still win it even if they lose to Michigan. They'd have to beat Northwestern, and then Purdue would have to lose to either Northwestern or Indiana. Minnesota would have to lose to either Iowa or Wisconsin. And then I would have to lose to either Minnesota or Nebraska. Right. And I think, that, well, they own the tiebreaker on Minnesota. So that Minnesota is the one that really needs kind of everybody to lose out of this scenario. Um, it, Actually, it, Minnesota scenario. Now, there's a guy named Wesley Johnson on Twitter who has put together a handy chart, which we could put on the, the screen on the video feed, but you wouldn't be able to. It's so tiny. The writing is so tiny. Minnesota, if they win their next two games, if they win the pig and the axe, then all they need is one Purdue loss. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Now, where is that going to come from? They're, they're, they're going to produce playing the, the worst two teams in the Big Ten. Granted, there's somewhat rivalry games for them. North, Northwestern was protected in the old days. Indiana, of course, is one of the oldest rivalries in college football, but Indiana uh, may or may not have a coach at that point. So mm -hmm. who knows on that one? But uh, specific to the game that I'm covering, um, this, this rivalry is entering, I think, its 116th edition. And there's really very few rivalries that have more starch than this one over history. I mean, the first pig they played for was real. And that's because there was almost a war between the two states. And, uh, and what happened was in 1934, you had uh, 
Minnesota was the Alabama of college football in the 30s. And right. They, they kicked the hell out of Dave, Iowa. Dave Revson's book, the the opening kick mm-hmm. or the opening kickoff, explains a lot of how Minnesota came to power. It's it's very good. Yeah, and you read the old articles, it's amazing. You know, the Nordic Swedes coming down and, <laughs> and all, this, all these great articles back then. Well, they Iowa had an African-American running back named Ozzie Simmons, mm-hmm. and they brutalized him in that game. And Iowa accused them of doing it in racist fashion. Minnesota said, we just beat the hell out of you. That's all we did. Well, the day before the 1935 game, the governor of Iowa was talking to someone, and he was accused of saying the following – that if if the refs don't take care of the Minnesota players, I'm sure our fans will. Wow. And that came up, and every newspaper in the Midwest had it as his lead story on A1. And Minnesota says, if anything, and this is, came five years after Iowa was kicked out of the Big Ten for a slush fund for its athletes, also known as a collective. And, <laughs> yes. And Minnesota cast the vote to push them out for 30 days is what it ended up being. But Salty. Yeah. Uh, so Bernie Bierman, who was one of the great coaches of all time, said, if anything happens, we're never playing you again. And they actually went and went across the river into Illinois to stay that night. And then the Minnesota governor tur- you know, sent a telegram to the Iowa governor saying, look, I think you're just trying to get our goat here. Let's go for let's go for a pig here. We'll we'll bet one of ours against one of yours. And there's some smack talk in there. It's, it's, it's great. The telegrams between the two are great. They ended up playing a game, hard hitting game. Minnesota won. Iowa's governor traveled up North with a, with a 200 pound Hampshire boar from Fort Dodge, Iowa. That was uh, from Rosedale farms. Mm -hmm. The governor, the governor of Minnesota was named Floyd Olson. And they met at the, at St. Paul, Minnesota outside the governor's office, handed him the, the pig, the pig ended up getting moved to the farm, then got sold, and then died of cholera the next year. I actually saw its resting Jeez. spot. <laughs> I saw its resting spot. It's almost on the Iowa-Minnesota border. And the guy who owned him at the time, he actually fought on D-Day. I mean, there's a lot of really good stories. Wow. Here. But, but over the years, that's almost tame compared to some of the other stories. So they hate each other. Iowa's won every game since 2014 was the last time Minnesota won it. But this is this is pretty significant for both. Floyd of Rosedale, one of the the only trophy that that was better was the battle for the bones when Memphis would play UAB every year in Conference USA, and it was a rack of ribs. It was a mm-hmm. it was a golden rack of ribs. But Floyd of Rosedale, you know, that's two racks of ribs. So <laughs> when when we really think about it. So that's even better. But yes, if Minnesota can win Floyd of Rosedale and, and Paul Bunyan's axe, they would need Purdue to lose a game, but they would be in. But it is it is truly amazing. And we got a lot of folks, you know, every time we talk about teams controlling their destiny, we get people who, and, and I guess I, sh- I shouldn't get mad because I, I'm someone who does this with, with words in their meetings. Like, no one actually controls their destiny. If something is predestined, then you're not in control of it. But... In this particular case, no one's in control. Everybody's waiting on something else to happen. Now, Michigan beating Illinois feels like the surest thing. This is the week, though, Scott. It's this week in college football, it feels like, every year, where we look at it and we go, what a yawner of a schedule. What the heck? Nothing. And then something just wham right out of left field happens. It wouldn't surprise me if uh, 
on Saturday, you see Michigan go down by Illinois because Illinois has a great defense. Now, Chase Brown, whether or not he plays or not, will impact that no matter what. Yeah. If he doesn't Blake play. Blake Corum then, is playing, so that's yeah. a problem. Yeah. And they're good enough to slow him down. I mean, I, I think it could be a competitive game, but but I think it, Michigan's probably two touchdowns better. Uh, but if Chase Brown's not playing, then I wouldn't even, you know, you'd have to add another 10 points at least to the um, to the betting line for me to even think about Illinois. But if Brett Bielema brings up his Michigan magic and and uh, ruins that party next week and, and wins the Big Ten West, uh, then that could change things. But then you look at Iowa-Minnesota after what Kirk Ferentz said a couple years ago, what last time he was up there when uh, Minnesota was trying to score a garbage touchdown, it was 35 to nothing, 19 seconds left. He calls a timeout at the four, and uh, P.J. Fleck did, I'm sorry, and then yep. Kurt Ferentz called three straight timeouts right after that. And he PJ said, Fleck makes everyone in the state of Iowa mad. It's not just Iowa. He also no. makes the Iowa state coaching staff very mad too. So right. that's a recruiting thing more than anything else. But PJ Fleck makes people mad. Yeah. He's just rubs on people the wrong way. And, uh, and so then at the end, Kirk Ferentz, you know, people were asking about the timeouts. He goes, finally goes, look, I figured I'd leave the timeouts here and take Floyd with us. So (laughs) (laughs) salty Kirk. Yeah, man. Kirk does have a very nice dry sense of humor. He loves it. He just kind of, he'll throw something out there and you just start to think about it and you laugh, you know, just like, and those are the types of things. Now that one ended up on a t-shirt as you can imagine, <laughs> and it'll be worn under about five layers of clothes. Cause I think the high is supposed to be 17 on Saturday. Oh, that's that's what we need for a game like this. <laughs> yes. We all need to eat Floyd before we go there. But, uh, <laughs> but then uh, I, you know, I think the image that if I'm Kirk that I'm just play is look, PJ Flex could outrace their players to Floyd or Rosedale. He's never won it. He's oh, yeah. won the X. So he's going to outrace his players to go grab it on the field. Do you want that image in front of you? And then likewise, of course, <laughs> Minnesota will want that pig because he has a replica in his office and he's never seen the real thing. <laughs> it's so salty. That's the best part about all. Oh, yeah. These are all very old, salty rivalries that we're getting into with the exception of Nebraska, Iowa, in, in on Black Friday, which just feels old and and salty, mm-hmm. like it should have always been, but wasn't just because of the the conference affiliation. But the geography makes it that way. But the but between Iowa and Minnesota, Minnesota and Wisconsin, Purdue, Indiana, mm-hmm. all of these games, they just you know there is all this heat around them, and we're we're kind of laughing because I, I joked the other night. This is the this is the season that the Atlantic the ACC coastal always promised us, but never gave us. <laughs> and, and that division is going away and North Carolina has already clinched it by going seven and well, they, they probably will wind up seven and one in ACC play. They're six and one now and can, can clinch, but they, uh, it, it just, it is amazing that it finally came to this. And this is probably what the next to last year of divisions in the big 10, the penultimate year of divisions yeah, one more year of division play. That's it. And then uh, then we're off to doing what we, uh, you know, to go to that full divisional or non-divisional alignment, which I think everybody wants. And I think if you look at it from that perspective, okay, then it's it's Ohio State versus Michigan two weeks in a row. And is that, you know, does the first one just feel like, uh, a, you know, hey, all right, we're just going to get through it and play the next one? Does it really matter? Now you're going to get at least – 
I think for the Big Ten, it's the best possible thing because the loser of Ohio State, Michigan, now has a chance to get to to the playoff. Whereas mm-hmm. if they played two weeks in a row, they could knock each other off. And right. then, of course, with the Wild Wild West, as you said, all these teams like Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa have 130 years worth of hate for one another. Yes, and, and so that's great. Illinois North, Northwestern at the end kind of do. Um, mm. Indiana Purdue does. Nebraska would if it was better, should be better, but isn't. Uh, but all that history coming together for for a real tangible prize. Hey, who cares if it's any good? It's interesting. Yeah, it is. It's very interesting. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. So we're just talking about the Big Ten West scenarios and a lot, a lot of scenarios and, and a lot of teams that could still win it. There's really four still in the hunt. There's another league with five still in the hunt for the actual conference title, and it's the Pac-12. So, Scott, their their schedule was designed back in the days when they were still playing a North and South division. So it it still looks like the old divisional schedule, but they are just taking the number one and the number two seed in conference play, and that's how they're going to decide the champion, which more similar to what the Big 12 does with their full round Robin that is also going away, unfortunately. But they will still do one versus two, we think, unless they do the most big 12 thing ever of adding divisions back, <laughs> but, but no, uh, so pack 12, no divisions. There are five after Washington beat Oregon and Arizona beat UCLA on Saturday. There are five teams with a chance to make the pack 12 title game, Washington, USC, UCLA, Utah, and Oregon all still alive. Now Washington is probably the least alive because to make it, they're going to need Utah to lose to Oregon, which is a distinct possibility. But then also to Colorado, which seems like it's very hard to do. Yeah, it's it's a wild, wild, crazy scenario. And it's what's weird about the Pac-12 is you have a clear line of delineation, which you do not, of course, in the Big Ten West. And that is you have the good and you have the really bad. Because yeah. there's only one other team. I mean, you have seven teams bowl eligible. Five. There's no two. middle class in the Pac-12. It's very right. weird. Oregon yeah, State. I mean, Oregon State is the middle class, basically. Yeah, I mean Oregon State and Washington State, you know the yep. the the holdovers. If there's a massive realignment, anyway, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and Arizona put itself in. Hey, they still got a chance at a bowl. You mean you got a chance, but you got a chance. Four and six, but the but really at the top, you've got four teams that are all eight and two, and then you have USC that's nine and one, or and that's overall. But then you have three teams with one loss in league play, and then two with two losses. It's just. It's chaos in a good way because you have the haves and have nots. There's no middle class. Well, and this is this is exciting because this is what we're going to see. The ACC starts this next year. We just talked about the Big Ten. They're probably going to be doing it in 2024. SEC is probably going to be till 2025 when, when Texas and Oklahoma get there because it, it seems like they are in the Big 12 till 2025 based on everything we've heard the them and the Big 12 say. So by 2025, though, this will be – kind of the norm. We'll mm-hmm. we'll be used to this and I got to admit this is super fun. And in a couple of years, we think at the end of the rainbow for this is a playoff berth. Like we don't know if any of those teams are going to make the playoff. USC's really the only one with a legitimate chance to make the playoff now. But if we're talking about this 2 years from now and it's a similar situation, whoever wins that game in Vegas is making the playoff. Yeah, and then you've got two versus three potentially for the a second spot. 
that mm-hmm. makes things awfully interesting. I mean, in some cases, you might win by not playing, you know, and you might yeah. lose by playing. The old um, war games, the best, the best move is not to play. Exactly, because I mean, if Oregon, let's say Oregon and uh, Utah both make it, uh, or both have are tied, but Oregon gets the the nod or something just because of the uh, a technicality or something, then they might lose then in the championship game, fall out of the top 12, and then maybe Utah slides in in the future. But um, I think this is what's going to make all these conferences really exciting. And the best part for the Pac-12 is all these great games are loaded at the end. Uh, And you have a healthy UCLA, which you haven't had for several years, you know, and you have Washington that's bounced back under Kalen DeBoer. I mean, I think he's been, he's DeBoer. I think he's one of the best, uh, hires i think of this last former cycle. indiana offensive coordinator kaylin DeBoer. he would have been good for the hoosiers too but they wanted to love each other a little bit more with tom allen anyway um i think this is a, a situation where it, it's exactly what you want if you're a conference you're making your season relevant you've got good teams and it's coming down to the end and i think everybody would behoove them to to schedule in much the same way going forward yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to see how it unfolds. I, I'm I'm really excited for the UCLA USC game on Saturday. One, it's one of the best uniform mm-hmm. games ever, and they play in. We're both wear the home uniforms, which is it's going to be a a gorgeous jersey game, if nothing else, a yours jersey and helmet game. But kind of clash of styles, like UCLA, I feel like is built to run for a million yards on USC. But I think given what we saw from Jaden Delora in Arizona, USC should score plenty on UCLA. This looks like a classic shootout. It's going to come right down to the end, doesn't it? I mean, that it's going to be 40 to 37. Whoever has the ball last uh, should score, but then not give the other team enough time. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just, it's going to be, uh, you know, great. And I'm sure Kevin Warren should probably be there in attendance. I'd rather be there than Balmy Minneapolis anyway. So I think uh, if <laughs> exactly. you're, you go out to LA, it's a good time for it. I don't, I don't think he can do that yet. <laughs> I, he should do that, but yeah. I, don't, I don't think he can do it yet. The, the other thing about this is it feels like it, it, the Oregon loss to Washington, also really brought Utah back in the mix. Like we we took Utah out of the national title picture week one because they lost at Florida, but we didn't ever take them out of the Pac-12 title picture. They you know they've only got one loss in conference play. They beat USC. You know they they are one of the more interesting teams here. That their losses to UCLA, but if USC can beat UCLA and Utah can beat Oregon then all of a sudden, the Utes are very much in the mix to repeat. And that was a great game in the first time they played USC. I mean, it was a one-point game, mm-hmm. uh, hard, you know, hard-fought game. And you know what I love about these two segments is that we're getting back to just kind of football in what its purest form is, which is conference yes. football. You know, we're not worried about the, the CFP. Uh, we're worried about... We, we've mentioned it obliquely with USC, yeah. but it doesn't matter. This is very exciting. This is for something. People are yeah. playing for something, whether it's the Big Ten West title, the Pac-12 title. And Ari can yell at us about, oh, you should have to be excellent. But guess what? When this is for an actual playoff berth, mm-hmm. it's going to be even more exciting. Oh, for sure. Because if you're looking at these games, like USC-UCLA might be an elimination game not only for the Pac-12 title, but then for a playoff berth. That adds to the element of excitement. Yeah, it's it, it's going to be great. I Now, hopefully everybody's ready to stay up 
if you're not on the West Coast. If you're on the West Coast, congratulations. You're getting a fun primetime matchup. But those of us on the East Coast will get our USC, UCLA in primetime and then Utah, Oregon late. I for I hope Bo Nix is is doing all right. He, you know, he went out for a little bit during the Washington game. I think he's all right. He came back in. But I really want to see the Bo Nix Cam Rising matchup in Oregon, Utah. That is going to be a really fun quarterback duel. And again, DTR versus Caleb Williams. I mean, Caleb Williams, I think in the next two weeks, Caleb Williams can make a very good case with the Heisman. Remember how I said all those uniforms are so pretty? Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? There's another really pretty uniform matchup for USC the following week with mm-hmm. Notre Dame, which may or may not, you know, if, if USC beats UCLA, USC is still kind of in the mix for the, the college football playoff. They, of course, would have to beat Notre Dame. USC, Notre Dame, with playoff implications, everybody's watching. If Caleb Williams blows up in that game, all of a sudden, you could have your Heisman moment. No question. Because you look at the kind of the two leaders, if you will, you know, Hendon Hooker, and Mm -hmm. he had his Heisman moment against uh, Alabama. Well, last year, uh, you had Kenneth Walker III that had his against Michigan, but that was a And Bryce Young didn't have his until... I would argue the last series of regulation against Auburn and the SEC championship game. Like Bryce Young was a candidate, but he wasn't going to win it until that SEC championship game. Like even the Auburn game wasn't enough because he didn't actually play that well most of that game. He had a good end of it. But Mm -hmm. but this is very much up for grabs. So, you know, you got Caleb Williams who could have his Heisman moment. You're going to have Drake May from North Mm -hmm. Carolina who will be playing against NC State on Black Friday, where a lot of the country will be watching that game. There are other, you know, uh, that's Nebraska, Iowa, and Missouri, Arkansas will be going on at the same time. But that may be the game everybody's watching because North Carolina may still be the team kind of in the mix for stuff. And it might be the first chance for a lot of people to see Drake May. So you got him, you got Hooker, probably. I don't think people are going to watch much of him because South Carolina and Vanderbilt, we kind of, we're pretty sure we know what's going to happen in those games. So I, don't, I think we're, we've seen Hendon Hooker. I don't think much of the country is going to be watching him much longer. Uh, CJ Stroud and Blake Corum are going to get their showcase the Saturday after Thanksgiving, and we're all going to be watching them. Well, exactly. That's that's the whole point. It's like it all kind of surges upward. And for Hendon Hooker, it's like, yeah, I just left the golf course, you know, two hours ago, and I'm yeah. just waiting to see all the scores coming in. You know, so Caleb Williams, Drake May, um, you know, if Blake Corum goes for 250 against Ohio State if he has his uh, Tim Biakapatuka moment or something <laughs> like that. Uh, you know, and then the winner of that game, you know, CJ, if if it's CJ Stroud, he. He could have a big game in the Big Ten Championship or or Blake Corum, for that matter. It's probably going to be a quarterback. We all know that's kind of where it's headed. Um, and likewise, somebody like Max Duggan, you know, could mm-hmm. be in the same. Oh, same I, boat. and that's another guy we're going to be watching closely. Uh, they're they're playing against Baylor this week, which pretty good mm-hmm. defense for a lot of the year, but then K State made them look pretty bad there at, at, at the end there. Well, right. for much of the second half of that game. So Duggan will be one that, that everybody's paying attention to because we're, we want to know, are they going to go 13 and zero? cause they're mm-hmm. in, if they go 13 and zero. I still think there's a chance TCU's in if they go 12 and one, I, it depends on what happens with everybody else. But I think that resume is really strong because the big 12 is the league where basically everybody can beat everybody. And mm-hmm. so 
I, I'm, I'm excited. And, and I mean, Bo Nix, another mm-hmm. one. I, I think the other night hurt him. But if he has a big game against Utah, big game against Oregon State, and then plays really well in the, in the Pac-12 championship game on a Friday night where everybody's going to be watching it, especially mm-hmm. if it's against USC and Caleb Williams, his numbers are, are incredible. So right. this is this is so much fun. It, it's it's nice when there's a lot of intrigue, when there's a lot of participants and a lot of intrigue. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fire up the debate with Ari not here. And and by the way, we're gonna make Ari explain why he's not here the next time he's on. You guys are gonna love it. <laughs> I promise. Yeah. It's gonna be tremendous. Yeah, so, that, that is gonna be a great story to watch. But yes. do you think do you think the uh the pandemic had some sort of reevaluation among fans and, and media for that matter as to why maybe it's back to checking out the, the season for what it is and not just immediately jumping to the conclusions button, you know, and push it all the way to the end. <laughs> a jump to conclusions, Matt. Us? The worst idea, no. the worst idea I've ever. Now I, I, that is a good theory. I had not thought of it that way. I was thinking with this year specifically that it felt like there were more teams in the mix longer than than previous years it felt like we got down to six or seven teams pretty quickly in the past few years and that really sucked the joy out of it but i i, th- I think you're right i think it's not just that it's pe- i think people are savoring the moments like that mo- watching that scene at auburn after they beat texas a&m neither mm-hmm. of those teams is going to go to a bowl game unless auburn somehow beats western kentucky and then wins the iron bowl but that was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Everybody just staying after the game. They're just hanging out because they got to watch Cadillac Williams, one of their favorite players, get his first win as a head coach. And he might not, you know, he, he might beat Western Kentucky this week. And then then you got the Iron Bowl. And he might not be a head coach again for a while. I do think this is this is probably shown that down as his career goes forward, that's a possibility. Like him mm-hmm. being a head coach is but he's still pretty young in his coaching career. I don't know that somebody's going to just snap him up as a head coach right now. He may go back to being a position coach or make it hire as a coordinator now, but that was just beautiful to watch. And when he says who wouldn't want to go to Auburn, you believe it. Like you're like, I would want to go to Auburn right now. Right. And, and, and they're, they're a four win team. Like, well, exactly. It's, it's the time we all talk about all year long. I mean, m- nobody has a longer off season than college football. And yeah. then this, this year, I think the other part is the summer was so was spent so much about realignment, media rights deals. And it went all the way up to almost to the start of the season. So we didn't get that whole we didn't talk about three football. month. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's like, Oh, this is good. Football's good. I love yeah, football's it. Football's awesome. And, <laughs> You know, you know, you know we saw a game in Ireland, and here we yeah. are. Yeah. We'll be right back after these words. You know what's really awesome about football? When a 400-pound guy who plays defense gets the ball and starts running. If you didn't see the Florida-South Carolina game, and I don't blame you if you didn't. It was kind of a blowout. There were some much more interesting games going on. But there was a moment when Florida's Desmond Watson, who is listed at six foot five, 415 pounds listed before we do this, let's, let's, let's get a little into football weight math. If you have a defensive tackle who is listed at 285, 
I can guarantee you that person weighs 265 pounds on game day. If you have a, a defensive tackle who's listed at 415, that guy's 435. Mm -hmm. That's how that math works. So Desmond Watson is listed at 415. He got the ball against South Carolina. He got the ball. He's in the red zone. He is moving toward the end zone. He got tackled by Spencer Rattler. <laughs> South Carolina quarterback Spencer Rattler tackled him. That, that is the thief of joy. It, it, uh, <laughs> unbelievable. But I, I did find out why today, Scott. So I went over to Florida. They were doing interviews. Uh, Dez was not there. Dez talked after the game. And Dez said something to the tune of, my sleeves were getting wet. Which Jimbo Fisher hears that and is like, see, I told you the sleeves make you fumble. But basically, Desmond Watson, who presumably has not carried the football many times in his life, goes, I think I might fumble here. And went down. That's Javon Dexter, one of his defensive line mates. We asked him, like, how many times did you replay Spencer Rattler tackling him? He's like, a few, but he had a pretty good explanation. He thought he was going to fumble. And if you watch, after he's down, Rattler actually does strip the ball away from him. So ball security is job security, Scott. What is he wearing sleeves for? I mean. Uh, it was it was like six. It was like seventy two degrees, Scott. That's cold in Gainesville, Florida. Okay, <laughs> I was it was eighteen degrees with the wind chill where I was, and I had to stand outside for an hour in a radio I, show. I, I so. think these are the padded ones that because your your forearms are getting pretty beat up down there in the uh, and you're not expecting to touch the ball. So, okay. but that that is his explanation. Well, someone in the Florida football program put together. An unbelievable video. If you're watching on the YouTube stream, you're about to see it. If you're listening in podcast form, I highly encourage you to call up the YouTube stream later today so you can see this. Here we go. For no particular reason, I decided to go for a little run. So he's running with Jack Sparrow on the beach. He's running through Super Mario Brothers through through that world. He's uh, he he's what's the youngest of the Incredibles? The really fast one, Jack Fla Jack. He's Jack Jack or no Flash? Well, no Jack Flash Flash. Not the the youngest is Jack Jack Flash. He's running with Flash. He's out running a cheetah. Roadrunner. Yeah, he's running with the Roadrunner. It's amazing. The man is four hundred fifteen pounds. He actually looked very natural. Like you see him, he yeah, shift his hand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Went hand to hand to hand. I mean, and uh, went down uh, with thunder, but grace. And yeah. I, I thought it was just a tremendous run for him for about ten yards. Uh, and that's all you need to do. Well, just ask the refrigerator Perry. You know, back in the day, who now exactly. looks small compared to Watson here. But uh, oh, what a great video! Desmond that, Watson weighs a hundred pounds more than the fridge when he played in the NFL. It's just amazing. You know, they called him back then the galloping roast. I mean, I don't know what you call this guy, but he needs a nickname like that. Well, so here's here's the, the promise from Billy Napier, the Florida coach. This was this was I found this very intriguing because obviously this has set the world on fire. Mm -hmm. Like everyone in, in football wants more Desmond Watson carries. They want to make this happen. Here's what Billy Napier said. He said, if Florida's defense 
can get in the top 10 in scoring defense and total defense, he will add defensive linemen to the goal line package mm. on offense. So I don't know that we're going to see like that's this is the this is Billy Napier playing the long game like that is the carrot he's dangling to all of those D linemen to get Des carries on the goal line next year because they can't I don't think they're in a position to to be anywhere near the top 10 in those categories this year. But next year. Scott, can you imagine if this gentleman scores a touchdown? Man, what would the swamp sound like? I mean, you know, if you're, I, I don't know who's on the schedule next year, but man, that would be thunderous. I'd love oh, to see him against the against Tennessee. Yeah. How about against Tennessee? Ooh, oh my, <laughs> that, in, that would be unbelievable. Or over in Jacksonville against the dogs. Imagine exactly. That. Let's uh, listen. All right, Florida defenders. You got like 10 months. Well, nine and a half months to get this in order. You can start, you know, you got Vandy this week. You got Florida State the next week. You got a bowl game after that. It's time to start getting better because if you can throw up a couple, you don't even have to throw up shutouts, but just make it tough. Make yourselves very tough to score on early in the season. That man's going to have plays in the playbook. Make it happen. All you Florida defenders. It is on you. The college football world is desperate, is begging you. Get yourselves in the top 10 next year. We want number 21 taking handoffs. Nothing is better than big man touchdowns, especially when they're running the football. Yeah, that would be perfect. Just like when Jack Allen did it for Michigan State one year against Penn State at the end of the year. It was kind of a rub your nose in it moment oh, yeah. at the end of the season. And, and that would be perfect. Tennessee. Georgia and the and uh, well, Georgia uses Jalen Carter on the goal line. They used Jordan mm -hmm. Davis last year as a blocker. I oh, mean, yeah. Des as a blocker is a pretty impressive mm -hmm. sight as well. But I'm telling you, we need to see him get the handoff because he's already got the moves. We know it. He's got the right mindset. He's thinking about ball security. He's not thinking about touchdowns. And he's right. He would have been clowned a lot more in the film room had he fumbled. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Or a Leon Lett moment, you know, holding the ball oh. back. But I, I grew up a Dolphins fan, so I was thrilled when that happened. <laughs> the sliding and the, uh, it, yeah, and the in, snow on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Exactly. Yes. Oh, you're talking about the, the Steve Tasker yeah. running him down in the Super Bowl. Yes. Right. I, well, as a Dolphins fan, I can't, I, I, I can't encourage the Bills to do anything good. So that's no good. <laughs> but yeah, no, that it was, it, it, it was an amazing moment from the guy that we most wanted to see with the football in his hands. And it was, it was almost completely magical, but now we know there is a way to get him into the end zone and it re requires Florida's defense to get better. So Florida defense get better. Meanwhile, this show, we will talk to you when the rankings are revealed on Tuesday night. This was the, this is that one they sandwiched between the two basketball games. So we think it'll be around 9 PM Eastern time. But it really depends on when that first basketball game ends. We'll get the rankings. We'll cut it up. We'll kibitz and we'll yell, complain. I don't know that there's so much to complain about, Scott. What What do you think? No change in the top four, right? We, we do we feel like top four is pretty static? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, you, TCU did what it needed to do. It won. It won. It beat Texas, which I didn't think, which most people didn't think would happen. Uh, Michigan and Ohio State won decisively. Georgia's fine. So I, I don't know that there's really much to complain about. The only thing I want to see is where does, uh, you know, who kind of takes that spot away from where Oregon was? Mm-hmm. And uh, who kind of fills that vacuum? Is it going to be USC? Is it? And then I think big picture, and this is more circling the CFP is, you know, what happens with LSU later on down the road when they play Georgia? If they lose mm-hmm. decisively, it's kind of for bowl positioning more than right. anything else. It's not really about the CFP because I think uh, everything after the Michigan Ohio State game is when that really ramps up. Yeah, I got a text from Stuart Mandel over the weekend, and and he was doing a kind of what what would this look like in the BCS era, and and it was like I he was he was talking about how how much he'd forgotten already from from that era. Remember, in the BCS era, only two teams from each conference could be in a BCS yes. bowl, which meant the Alabama Ole Miss game last week was essentially for like an Outback Bowl spot. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, you'd have what Tennessee and Alabama, and then you'd have. Citrus Bowl, you'd have the Outback Bowl, and then maybe what the Vegas or Texas yeah, Bowl. In, in the BCS, you'd have Georgia probably making the BCS title game. Yeah. LSU would fall to the Citrus Bowl. Tennessee would go to the Sugar Bowl, assuming they were 11 and 1. Yeah. And then Alabama would be the Outback Bowl. Right. Against uh, either the Big Ten champ, West champ, or mm-hmm. Big Ten West runner up. Um, that that's kind of a scary thought to be honest with you. I know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause right. Penn state would be in the citrus bowl. Probably. Right. It would be in the, against uh, what probably Alabama, you know, or LSU. One no, the that would be against LSU probably. Yeah. Oh, thank God. We don't do this anymore. See, this is when people are like the BCS was better. No, it wasn't. It was stupid. And, mm-hmm. and the one that they do now is stupid compared to the one that's coming. It's going to get better. Just hang in there. Everybody. We'll talk to you when the rankings are revealed.